Draw me close with every word 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Oh, 
we thank you for that. My name is Priya. I am a junior, and I attend Capital City Student Ministry. And last week, I decided to get baptized. It, it had been a, um, something that I had been really pondering about. And when I was thinking about it, somebody told me two fundamental questions. Do you believe he loves you, and do you believe he took care of it on the cross? Well, God so loved the world. So yes, he does love you. And he didn't pick a group of people to love. He picked the entire world to love. And then he took it on the cross, and he paid for my sins and your sins. And so I encourage you, if you're on the borderline of deciding whether to commit your life to Jesus, I really encourage you to do it because it is the best feeling ever, and he will take care of you. Let's give it up for Priya. Yeah. Part of the family. Good morning, Cap City family. How are we this morning? It is so good to see you, so good to celebrate with you. And yes, God so loved the world. He so loved each and every one of us. So loved Priya that we get to celebrate. So loved all of us. That's, that's just excited me this morning. You know, we're going to continue in a time of, of worship and communion in just a few moments. But before we do, we do have some announcements for you this morning. Very first that I want to share with you is the Feed the Need that's been going on. Hopefully you've been able to participate this month so far. You brought in your rice and pasta today to fill up the truck outside. We have one more week of this. It's November 27th, next Sunday, and we're collecting peanut butter. So you want to make sure you bring that peanut butter in, or if you missed a week, go ahead and bring anything that you have left. We'll make sure we load that up to help those who are in need. Hopefully you've been able to participate in our November Nudge, the love and action cards that you see out on the tables. There's a little envelope that looks like this. I've already opened this one, but you're welcome to have this one. But this is our opportunity to give back to the community, to show them love. Whether you want to put a little gift in there, a card in there, whatever it may be, it's our opportunity to show the love of Christ, how much God loved us. We get to do that as a church family. Also, this one's for our men this coming Saturday. The 26th, this is our last men's breakfast of the year. Men, this is always a great time of fellowship and always a great time of food, so we hope you come out and join us for this very last one of the year. That is from 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. Like Priya mentioned, God loves this world. And, you know, here in a few moments, we're going to be moving into a time of communion. And if this is the first time uh, you've been to Cap City, maybe you're not familiar with how communion works or you just heard it as a term, but... After this next song, uh, you're going to be dismissed to the tables in the corner of the room where you'll find a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice that symbolizes the body that was broken on a cross for us and blood that was shed for us. Why? Because God loves us. And in this next song that we're going to be singing, you're going to hear words that talk about running to the Father. You know, each and every one of us had an opportunity to run to Him. There was a time where we had to run to the cross. There's a time, time again, where we have to keep running back to Him. But remember, those are tons of people out there who don't know him. And if we're going to go out there and shine that light for Christ, if we're going to go out there and be the church for others and show them how much God loves them, then we're going to have to continue to run to the Father just so they can run to the Father as well. So I invite you, church family, stand if you're able as we sing these words to our awesome God.
Our hearts need a change. Our hearts need to be able to be more in line with what you want for this world. So I'm I'm here and I'm surrendering myself again to you. And I ask, Father, that you'll be in the hearts of each of these people here as they surrender themselves to you. This invitation that you make for a better life. And even if they did it many, many, many years ago, they come into this place today and they're confronted with what you want to tell them, Father, let them be changed today. Let their lives be changed, their families changed, their, their workplaces changed, their neighborhoods changed because they've asked for you. They've asked for your vision and your purpose. And as we go to communion right now, we want to be reminded of what, what it took, the work of Jesus Christ. It was the plan from the start. Thank you so much for accepting each of us, for loving each of us, for loving this world like you do. We pray each of these things in the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go to the tables. Remember what Jesus has done. It's so easy to place people in boxes, drawing lines, creating sides. There's us, and there's them. Those we feel comfortable around, and those we don't. There are those of us with many chapters, and those just starting their own stories. There's the well-to-do, those doing what they can. There are those we share something with, and those we don't seem to share anything with. Welcome, and thank you for coming today, guys. Today I'm going to be conducting an experiment uh, where I'll ask you a series of questions. Now these questions will be very personal questions, and for us to get a true result, I need you to be completely honest with how you respond. The first question I have is who in here was the class clown? Who is never on time? We who have been bullied. 
have bullied others. We who are madly in love. We who have overcome great adversity. That's a powerful video that sets us up really nicely for what we're talking about today. But I think in order for us to understand fully what it is that we're talking about today, we have to look backwards a little bit and understand exactly where we've come from, how it is that we've got to this point. We're looking at this sermon series. It's all based off of the book Believe, written by a guy named Randy Frazee. And we're calling this series Unfiltered because we're trying to just break down everything to that core foundation, trying to get everything just back down exactly, everything else just stripped away to where we can see exactly what it is that we believe. And we started with this, seven weeks ago, we started with this, we started with a simple belief of God. And we had a belief statement, and it looked, it looked like this, right? I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God. And in that statement, we're confessing some things, right? We're, we're confessing that we believe that this God exists. We're also confessing that there isn't anything else that he's competing with. He's one of one, right? He's on his own. He exists in his own, right? However, there was a word in this phrase that we didn't necessarily talk about that first week. All right? And if you look through all these different belief statements, they're all kind of hiding something else. There's this other statement. There's these other ideas that exist within the big idea, all right? But there's a word here that we didn't necessarily focus on that leads us to a different point. And it was this word Bible. This word Bible. And it, and it, it was important for us. And so we actually spent a whole week talking about that. 
because we don't believe that God just existed. We believe that he revealed himself. You following me? There's this bigger idea there. And so we had a belief statement for that as well. And it says, I believe the word of God guides my beliefs and actions. I believe the word of God guides my beliefs and actions. We, we believe that God actually has a plan, that he has a desire, that, that there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do life. This God who existed has revealed himself through scripture, but he also speaks directly to us that he also speaks to what it is that he wants from us and what he expects of us, what he would hope and that he would dream of us. He reveals that there's such things as right and wrong. And within this idea and the ways in which God has revealed himself, he reveals some of the character of who he is. He reveals uh, some parts about him that maybe you wouldn't have known otherwise. And so we talked about that. We talked about the fact that God is a personal God. We spent a week talking about that. And we had a belief statement that matched that one as well. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. The God who exists reveals himself through Scripture to be a personal God. That he's not just this God who created and set up and then walked away to let it just run its course, but that he continues to be invested and continues to work within the world and even continues to work in your life. That God desires to know you and interact with you. Which led to this revelation. I believe God wants to save me. Now that's kind of a weird one because maybe you don't realize that you need to be saved. Maybe you don't recognize or understand that, that you're in danger, right? If you need to be saved, that means you must be in danger. And yet this God who exists, who has revealed himself through Scripture, has revealed that he's a personal God, and he's revealed that, that we are kind of at odds with him most of the time. That sometimes we get it wrong, and we break relationship, and we find ourselves contrary to him, and we find that in his story that he reveals through Scripture that he's actually the center of the story, that he's the hero that he loves us so personally that he's inv invested himself into this story, that he has resolved the problem that we have, and that he actually wants to save us from the problems that exist in this world. But here's the big idea. God doesn't just save us for what's next. He saves us for what is right now as well. That when he saves us for eternity, eternity doesn't start after we die. Eternity starts the moment we accept it, Right? And so we haven't just been saved for something that's going to happen someday, but we've been saved to something right now in this purpose, and it's called the church. And so we've talked about that, and we had this belief statement that says, I believe the church is God's plan to accomplish his purposes. That it's not just what we're saved from, it's also what we're saved to. This God, this personal God who has revealed himself, has saved us for eternity, and he saved us to his purposes, which are fulfilled in the context of the church. It's a family. It's a place where we each bring our own unique giftedness and abilities into the purposes of the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting is if you look at these last few kind of big ideas as they've been laid out here, it seems like we're kind of a big deal, right? It seems that this God who exists, who's created all things, who's revealed himself, he's also revealed that we're kind of important to him. Like he wants to know us. He wants relationship with us. He wants to share life with us. And we looked at that one as well. We talked about our identity. 
And we had a belief statement that matched it. We said this, we said, I believe I am significant because I am a child of God. This is a powerful statement that can be life-changing. Can absolutely change your life if you can accept this idea that you are actually made on purpose. You see, this God who exists, who's revealed himself, and he's revealed that he wants to save us, that he knows us personally, that that he knows us closely. He's revealed that he's created us, each of us with his thumbprint. That there's something about us, that when he made us, the template he used was himself. And he created us in his image. And it makes us really valuable, doesn't it? It kind of changes things. This statement, though, there's something really interesting about it. It says, I believe that I am significant because I am a child of God. It's very personal. It's very individual. It's not something that we would, we all said it together as a group, but it's a very personal response. It's a very personal kind of a statement to make, right? So how is it that I can make that statement and the person next to me can be making that same statement? I mean, maybe we have a few things in common enough that this could apply to both of us. But what happens whenever we start seeing people who are so drastically different from us, people who don't live like we do or think like we do or, or, or look like we do, any other thing that may separate us? Are we all significant? Are we all made in the same way? Are we all actually children of God? Here's what I believe about this statement. I believe that if you believe this, then you have to believe the next one. You don't know what the next one is yet. But I believe if you believe that one, you have to believe this. I believe all people are loved by God. They're together. They're a package deal. You cannot believe that you are significant and that you are a child of God if you are not also willing to acknowledge that all people are loved by God. And here's what we do. We look at this statement and we really want to focus on the loved by God part because that's back where I'm a part of it, right? If I focus on this part of the statement, then I'm at the center of it again, that I'm loved by God and I make it about me. But that's not the focus. The focus is this all people. I believe all people are loved by God. Do you believe that? It's challenging. I mean, what if we really believed this? What if we really believed that all people are loved by God? If we really believed it, then we'd actually begin seeing people as loved by God, wouldn't we? And if we began seeing all people as loved by God, then we'd probably begin treating all people as loved by God. That's hard. Jesus taught this consistently throughout the Gospels, and there's this part that's recorded by a guy named John. It's written decades after Jesus had walked the earth. He's looking back and he's, he's, he's carrying on some of the things that, that Jesus said. He, he's kind of writing these things down, documenting it. And he looks back to this moment, this time when John, or when, when Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And there's this verse, you know this verse. We just say this first part and you would, you would be able to recite the rest. This is probably the first verse you ever memorized, right? And when we read this verse, we would say, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When I hear that verse, I focus on the eternal life part because that's pretty important to me. I like the for God so loved part because that's where I find myself. And it's true. That's where you're at. 
That's where you intersect with this piece of scripture, where you intersect with this moment of, of what's been communicated, where, where you are there, you're part of this story. But what happens is we focus on those parts and we, for, we forget these, we skip past world. We skip past whoever. Because that's not looking inward, that's looking outward, and that's a bit more difficult, isn't it? It's harder to look outward and see other people as loved by God in the same way that I want to be loved by God. And so we kind of skip past that. I think John understood that. I think Jesus gets that. Because the very next verse carries weight to it that I think is really significant. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I mean, do you hear the focus here? Do you hear what's being communicated? That there is an inclusivity, that it's for everyone, that it's available to all people at all times. And that you can't find anyone, past or present, that is not qualified. Think about that for a moment. I mean, there's a part of me that when I hear that, I say, how can that be? Because I think through people I know, I think through uh, uh, figures of history, and I think through all, like, the worst of the worst. Like, I know that I'm not a perfect guy, but man, I'm not the worst, right? And I think through, how is it possible that God could love everybody? It doesn't make sense to me. And maybe it wouldn't make much sense to you either, right? You know what I think our problem is? I don't know how to love everybody. It's not a God problem, it's a me problem. And ultimately, I think it's this. It's, it's the fact that not everyone is made in my image. If they were, it'd be much easier to love, wouldn't it? I have three teenagers who live in my home who are made in my image. They're teenagers. Teenagers are not easy to love. I love them. Not, and like they're the easiest people in the world for me to love because they're made in my image. I see myself in them. When they do dumb things, I think, <laughs> yeah, I've done that, right? Like I see myself in them. They, they unfortunately carry my image, right? And so I see that and they're easy to love. You know why it is that God loves all people? It's because every single person bears his image. Every single person whether they give their lives to him or not, every single person has a unique giftedness and an ability to show the world who God is. Every single one. And he loves them because when he sees them, he sees them as made in his image. You see how it changes things? Which is probably why Jesus spoke so frequently to his followers, to the crowds, to whoever would listen about why it's important that we treat other people so well. I mean, I think we have the same problem they did. We don't recognize the inherent value in each person that we come across. We don't see them as made in our image, and so they don't have much meaning or value to us. Jesus put it this way. It's in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says this. He says, but I tell you, you who hear me, which is convenient for us because we don't hear him, but it's inconvenient for us because now we're hearing it, okay? But I tell you, you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, you turn to him the other also. 
If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. That's my favorite part because I don't have either of those things. <laughs> Give to everyone who asks you. Do not demand it back. Is there anything convenient about this teaching? Anything about this that makes you just jump up with excitement like, yes, finally. Finally, we get to do it, right? This is hard. It's inconvenient. It goes against every natural inclination that I have. Why in the world would I treat people, not just any people, Jesus lists difficult, mean, hurtful, enemy-type people. Why would I treat them so well? Why? Very next thing, Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. You guys ever heard that before? It's called the what? The golden rule. We're familiar with it, right? How many of you can recall, we'll do a little bit of crowd participation, how many of you can recall this actually being like on a poster in your class in elementary school when you were growing up? All right? Even the young people are raising their hands. That's exciting. All right. You remember this? Every time I come across this, I recall back to some teaching I got from a guy named Mark Moore who taught me that I was much better at the silver rule than I was the golden rule. Are you familiar with the silver rule? The silver rule is probably what your teacher actually taught you. The silver rule sounds like this. Hey, don't hit Johnny because you don't want Johnny to hit you. Right? You remember that lesson? All right? And you didn't like getting hit, and so you didn't hit someone. That's a great rule. All right? It's a good rule. The silver rule is a good rule because you shouldn't treat people the way that you don't want to be treated. Right? But that doesn't mean you're doing something for them. That just means you aren't doing something to them. You see the difference? There's a difference between the silver rule and the golden rule. The silver, silver, silver rule says don't do that to them. The golden rule says do that to them. It's different. My wife loves Starbucks coffee. There's like a two-hour window every day that if you showed up with a Starbucks coffee, she wouldn't be happy because it's too late and she doesn't need the caffeine, okay? But other than that, there's like 22 hours a day. If you show up with coffee for my wife, Starbucks coffee, she is going to be thrilled. She's going to thank you. She will feel loved. You know what that means for her? She should probably be buying people coffee. That's the golden rule. The golden rule says if you loved it, if you wished it would show up for you, then you go do it to others, right? That's the golden rule. It's, it's, remember, some of you have to think back a long time ago, but remember when you were, when you were a young parent and you had these little kids, these toddlers in your home and you were exhausted and you were tired of them and you couldn't wait for like your husband to come home or you just prayed. You desperately hoped that some person, it didn't even matter who, it could be someone random, would just randomly show up at your home and just say, hey, I've got your kids for an hour. Go do whatever you wanted. You don't even care who it was. You were going to leave the house. Because you so desperately wanted to get away from them. Do you remember that? Go do that for someone. That's the golden rule. Do you see it? The golden rule says, man, that thing that you wish, that thing that you crave, go do it for somebody. Don't wait for it to just show up for you. You go do it for someone. And then here's the thing. When I think through those examples, I start thinking of people I love. I start thinking about people I care about, and I'm like, yeah, I could go take care of their kids. Or yeah, I could go get them a coffee. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said this in context of people that you can't stand. Do you see this? 
We're really good at loving people who are just like us. And we're really good at loving people who, and it's convenient for us. It's not what Jesus says, though. It's not what Jesus taught. That this golden rule doesn't just apply to us when it's convenient or the people that we love. It's actually intended for the people that we don't think deserve it. Isn't that big? And it's like Jesus really wanted us to understand this because he just kept talking. The next thing he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. I love this, little quotation marks around sinners. I love this. I think Jesus smiled when he said this as if suggesting that, oh, you're not a sinner, all right? You're, you're not a sinner. But those people, those sinners, yeah, they're good at loving people who love them, Right? And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. He says it a third time. You know that people who don't love God, who have no interest in who he is, have any belief in him, know how to treat people that love them well? They know how to treat them well? It means nothing to love people who love you. That's basic. That's simple. That's intuitive. It's convenient. Jesus says that we love everyone. What sets Jesus' followers apart is their kindness and their love to all people, even those who don't reciprocate it. Can you see how difficult this is? It starts with our beliefs. I believe all people are loved by God. Do you really believe that? And I mean that. Like, do you really believe it? Because I think we say things all the time. We say we believe things all the time, but we don't live like we believe them. We say all the time things that we believe in, but it has no impact or bearing on our life. What we actually believe matters. What you truly believe matters because you will act on what you actually believe. And if you really believe that you're important, if you really believe that you're significant because you are a child of God, then it will require you to believe that all people are loved by God. And if you really believe that, you're going to live different. It's going to impact every nook and cranny of your life. If you want some comfort, you should know that the church has always been bad at this. From the very beginning, they got this wrong. The followers of Jesus in the very beginning, they're the ones who heard these teachings directly from him and it was impactful in their life. In Matthew 28, last week, uh, Doc told us about how Jesus gave this great commission right before he left. And he says, I want you to go to all nations. That sounds great and grand and spectacular. It's estimated that it took about four years before they left their neighborhood. You can follow it in Acts. It's up to Acts chapter 7 when they finally leave their neighborhood and it's because of persecution. It's cause, not because they wanted to. And that sounds familiar. That sounds like the church, doesn't it? We're really good at caring for the people who are kind of like us and live around us, right? But Jesus said all nations, that this message is for all peoples, but they didn't really leave. And then when they were persecuting, they're forced out. They just went to like new places and they talked to people about Jesus if the people were just like them. In fact, it's estimated that another six years from that point is when you have this story of Peter and a guy named Cornelius. Peter doesn't believe that you can really be a follower of Jesus unless you're Jewish. 
He believes that the Spirit of God isn't going to come down to you unless you're Jewish until he gets this dream from God. Like very literally, God had to give him a dream and this vision and then force him to go into the home of someone who was not like him so that Peter could see that the Holy Spirit was moving among them. Forced him to have to see that God really meant all nations. He really meant all people. And you would think that at that point, they kind of get it. It sounds familiar. We think, okay, maybe we would have got it at that point. It was another eight years when there was this event in church history called the Jerusalem Council where they got together, the leaders of the church got together and had this big discussion about whether or not you had to convert to Christianity and Judaism or just Christianity. Like, did you also have to be Jewish or could you not become Jewish and just be a Christian? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, the church has a reputation of being a place that makes people get their life straight before they can come to Jesus. Mm. We don't always get this right, do we? The New Testament is filled with encouragements to the church to get over yourself. That's how Doc would say it. Maybe not, maybe not me, but get over yourself. Writer after writer telling the church to stop using things to divide them. Paul puts it this way. He says there's no Jew nor Greek. That's racism. He says there's no male nor female. That's sexism. He says there's no slave nor free. That's classism. I mean, we find all these ways to divide people and put them in different boxes, just like this video that we started with. And the reality is, is that each of us bears the image of God. And it means that we're loved by him. Jesus said that he came for all people. And his followers at the time had a hard time believing it. And the church has struggled with it ever since. But it doesn't change the fact what we actually believe matters. We act on what we actually believe. Which means that if you can say that you believe all people are loved by God, it will have evidence in your life. It'll change how you live. When I was growing up, I had a, a great aunt named Brenda. Now I should clarify, she was not great in the sense that I just loved her and she was, a, she was a wonderful aunt. She was great in the sense that she was older than my aunt. She was a sister to my grandmother, okay? So she was a great aunt, Brenda. Brenda was this small woman. She was hunched over. She had hearing issues and sight issues. And I'll tell you that Brenda really loved Jesus. However, her spiritual gift was the art of complaining. And some of you have this gift. You know what I'm talking about. It didn't seem to matter where she was or what she was doing. She always found what was wrong. She always found the issue. And so she was in the house with, with grandma. It was the thermostat was never right. It was always too hot. It was always too cold. It was never right. I promise, never right. My grandmother was known for her cooking, very, very gifted. My Aunt Brenda, who could not cook a thing, found something wrong with her cooking every single time. All right? She just had that gift. And she had this ability to kind of bother the rest of the family, okay? They would just, just kind of have a hard time with her. I loved her to death. I thought she was hilarious. 
when she would complain about stuff, I didn't understand how serious she was. I thought, I thought she was just like making fun. And so I just laughed all the time. I loved, I can honestly tell you that there was not a single time in my life when I was with Aunt Brenda that I was not having a good time. All right. Like I loved her to death. I loved spending time with her. I thought she was hilarious. She was wonderful. Okay. Several ministries ago for me, there was this, there was this little old lady in our church who was just a burden she had that spiritual gift of complaining. She was negative all the time. I would try to avoid her on Sunday mornings. She, she, she like took life from me. Her name became almost this sarcastic joke among the leaders of the church, as shameful and as sorry as that is. Until one day, very literally, something miraculous happened for me. I happened to see her from across the room and I saw her and in a moment I saw my Aunt Brenda. She had the same stature. She was hunched over. Her hair was the same color. And in that moment I began to recognize her as someone different. And very literally a transformation took place in my heart in that moment. I would like to take credit for any of this but it was not me. It was the work of God in me in a very spiritual, uh, incredible way. Miraculous. And I saw her differently. And from that point forward, I loved her. I loved being around her. I sought her out. There was not a time that she was in the building when I would not have dropped what I was doing to go see her and talk to her. And she still complained. She was still who she was. She was still difficult. Nobody else understood why I had fallen in love with her. But I did. And it happened when I saw her in the image of my Aunt Brenda. You see it? What if we began seeing all people in the image of God? I can tell you how life-changing it was when I saw it in one person. And I know that I've still got a long ways to go. All people is a long ways away from one person, that's for sure. But it changed me. And it changed how I treated others. What if the church really did that? What if? What if we saw the person taking our order in the drive-thru as the same person who cut us off in traffic? Both made in the image of God. Whether it's the person sitting in the corner office or the person on the side of the street. Both made in the image of God. The person who is suing you or the person who's hugging you. Both made in the image of God, I mean, can you imagine? What if, we, what if we really believe these things? Maybe today's a day for you to choose to accept Jesus and let him do that saving work in your life. Maybe today's a day of repentance for you, a recognition that you have not loved all people or treated all people in the way in which you ought to. I'll be up front. We'll just sing a song. You can come up and we'll have a discussion. You can make a decision. We've got an elder in a prayer room back there that would love to pray with you. Uh, there's lots of opportunities to take your next step forward. What if what we actually believe matters and what if it actually took root in us? We acted on what we actually believe. I believe all people are loved by God. Can you say that? Why don't you stand with us? Let's sing.
needs to see that within you. The world needs to see the light of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to go and do that? All right. Now, I want a little bit more enthusiasm. <laughs> I guess. No, I mean, yeah. yeah. We're about to go out into the world, right? We've been here. We've been talking about the world, the need for Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. It's within you when you look like Jesus and act like Jesus. So you're about to go out into the world. Are you ready to go and do that? Say it. Yeah. All right. So when you are the light of the world, you're going to remember this very, very important phrase. I believe all people are loved by God. All people. There might be people that as soon as you think about it, you're like, I don't like them. I, don't, I hate that guy. It might be me. You never know. Uh, but, you know, so you might immediately think of somebody that you just, I don't like that person. I don't love that person. And God is saying, there's a reason I'm going to put that on your heart today. You need to love all people. I love all people. And this, all people need Jesus Christ. All people. So as you go out into this world today, be reminded of this over and over again. I believe all people are loved by God. Say it. I believe all people are loved by God. A little bit more enthusiasm. One more time. I believe all people are loved by God. If you can remember that, your life has changed. You'll live differently. Because that's who you're supposed to be. Father in heaven, we are finishing this place, uh, finishing this place today and we're reminded again that you love us. And because you love us, we need to love other people. I forget all the time, and I'm an idiot. And when I, when I do, when I go out there and I start saying something that I know is not from you, God, I just want that to be ripped from my mouth. When I think something that I, I shouldn't be thinking about when it comes to people, I want that thought ripped from my heart and thought ripped from my head. I just don't want to be anything except looking like Jesus Christ. So when I go out into this world today, Father, as each of us go out into this world and we're confronted with the opportunity to look more like Jesus or less like him, Father, help us all to make that decision because all are loved by you. And because you love them, Father, we want to love them. Father, we pray each of these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. We hope to see you again next week. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Happy Thanksgiving.